Reading now from the Gospel according to Luke in the 19th chapter. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the power of deed they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, these were silent, the stones would shout out. As Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've been asked why I don't pray before I preach, which is an interesting assumption for someone to make. How would they know? (laughs) What they mean to ask, I think, is why don't I kneel and pray before you as I'm praying before I preach, as they've seen others do? Why don't I show you that I'm praying? If you're wondering, I assure you, I pray before I preach. I hope you do as well. The sermon, of course, is meant to be something more than just what the preacher has to say. It's also what God has the hearers hear. Josh and I have often laughed about the ways you'll come up to us and tell us something we said in our sermons, and afterwards we ask each other, did I say that? And usually the answer is no, (laughs) you didn't. Sermons are shared experiences. We need you to be as engaged as we are for a sermon to work. We should all be praying before one of us preaches. You should be praying while I'm preaching. Come to think of it, maybe that's why so many eyes are closed while we're preaching. Thank you for your prayers. There's a prayer in our hymnal that some of my colleagues pray before they preach. It's a prayer that that was composed in Kenya. It's found on number 597 in your hymnal. I want you to actually turn to it right now. 597 in the hymnal. We can have a race. It's like a sword drill in the hymnal. 
597. Let's pray together. From the cowardice that dares not face new truth, from the laziness that is contented with half-truths, from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, good Lord, deliver me. Amen. This prayer has been on my mind lately. I can't imagine why. What lately could have me thinking about cowardice and arrogance and half-truths? Jesus had to deal with politics. This world he lived in was full of politics. The Roman authorities were in Jerusalem, but they weren't there because they enjoyed worshiping on the Passover. They were there to stamp down the excitement of the Passover. They came in force. They were there to keep their version of the peace, to control the population, to oppress. The Jews had a story that they told every Passover, a story the Roman officials did not like, a story of how God acted mightily to free them from the Pharaoh's harsh grip. It's a story of salvation, a political story. A story of rescue from an unjust government by a God who is bent on justice and peace. The Palm Sunday story drops us right into this world of political and religious friction. Where the memory of what God has done inspired hope in some and fear and aggravation in others. Those Jews might be tempted to let the past inspire the future, and so they needed a strong sense of the present, and the Romans were there to give them that sense. But there was a new truth being revealed, and some had the courage to embrace it, to celebrate it, to face it. A cult that had never been ridden was secured and brought for the one who brought this new truth, who was, who was, this new truth. Herod's men arrived on impressive stallions, but Jewish kings were comfortable on donkeys. Zechariah told Israel that they should rejoice, they should shout when the king comes to you, triumphant and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A colt would look ridiculous beside a stallion. Unless you knew Zechariah's prophecy. Those who did knew this was not a horse race. Jesus didn't need a beast with great strength or great speed. His way was different. A donkey would serve Jesus' ways just fine. A donkey is humble. Low to the ground. Unlike the mighty war horse, you weren't intimidated when a donkey came up. You wanted to pet it. Unlike the proud, fierce Roman soldiers, you didn't get out of the way when Jesus arrived. You went to him. People willingly spread their cloaks before him. No coercion. No intimidation. No one forcibly removed for disagreeing. Just loud voices saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Kings come in different ways, and they come for different reasons. 
Blessed is the one who comes with God's ways on his heart. Blessed is the one who comes seeking God's peace. Blessed is the king who has the courage to bring a new truth. The disciples were inspired to sing their praise. The whole multitude of disciples, we're told, praised God. Only the Pharisees did not. It's dangerous to praise in public. The Romans were watching. Getting angry, doubting your allegiance to Caesar. Better to be quiet. Praise silently. Keep praise where it belongs. In the temple. Be faithful to God on the Sabbath. Be faithful to Caesar every other day of the week. Half loyal to God. Half loyal to Caesar. Half-truths are tempting because they're comfortable. Reassuring. Keep us out of trouble. The Kenyan prayer asks for deliverance from laziness. Laziness that accepts half-truths. It recognizes that half-truths are easier to accept than whole truths. Easier than having to do the work that comes when you have understood a new truth. Rallies can give us half-truths. Slogans are easy to spout. Excitement is contagious. Someone says something you like and now it's affirmed because they've said what you've been thinking. It's not just you. Your thoughts are validated. It's fun to be part of. Comforting to be with a crowd that thinks the way you think. When the whole multitude praised God as Jesus rode the colt into Jerusalem, it was fun. It was exciting. The chance came easily. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Later that week, how many of those same voices were the ones who excitedly shouted, Crucify him. The very same king. There are times when our devotion is sincere and it sticks. But there are times also when its sincerity is fleeting. When the demand is too high or the distractions are too great, and half-truths feel like all the truth that we can handle. We resist new truth, are content with half-truths, and perhaps most frightening of all, can begin to think that we have cornered all truth, sorted it all out, know the truth that needs to be known, all the truth that needs to be known. The Pharisees knew a lot about religion. They had the rules down. They knew how things were supposed to happen and when. They were good at their job as religious gatekeepers. They show us what we already know to be true. That it's possible to know a lot about the God of history and miss the God of the present. The Pharisees were so busy protecting the God they read about certain that they had all the knowledge needed to be known about, that they missed when God was about, walking with them, talking to them, healing before them, dying for them. When we arrogantly think that we know all truth and are clutching it so tightly that we squeeze our eyes shut and put our fingers into our ears, we miss the truth that God is revealing right before Our eyes. We miss God with us. 
We miss God bringing peace to us. We end up saying, tell the people praising God to be quiet. Tell the people critiquing injustice to hush. Kenyan prayer asks for deliverance, but not from truth. The prayer has nothing against truth. The prayer asks for deliverance from arrogance, laziness, and cowardice. The Lord, riding on his colt, arrived in Jerusalem bravely, determinedly, and humbly revealing truth with each clip-clop along the way. And then, the one who would deliver us paused. And he looked across that Kidron Valley, stared at the Temple Mount, looked beyond it to a place they called the Skull, watched soldiers moving around on powerful horses, patrolmen on the ramparts, and wept. He wept because in their resistance to new truth, in their acceptance of half-truths, and in their arrogantly thinking that they held all truth, they missed the things that made for peace. They shut their eyes, their ears, and their hearts to God, Jesus wept. Because if they would not take up his ways while he was with them, what hope did he have that they would take up his ways while he was no longer? Unless you realize the things that make for peace. He's just a silly man riding on a silly colt. And you aren't sure why. Those people, Jesus' people, All people needed deliverance. Deliverance from themselves. Deliverance from their occupiers. Deliverance from occupying. Deliverance from cowardice, laziness, and arrogance. They needed something radical, something to stir them more than a rally or a slogan. They needed love that emptied itself so utterly, so completely, that its truth would still be wrestled with 2,000 years later. They needed a God who would love unto death, even death on a cross. They needed deliverance that came through a man riding on a colt. And so do we.